0: Greetings and salutations. This is the Accelerated Culture Podcast, The Rise of Alternative Music in the 80s and Beyond. In this podcast, we aim to walk through an often ignored bit of music history. My co-host Trey and I will explore how new waves stormed the airwaves in the early 80s and gave way to the rise of alternative music.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Accelerated Culture Podcast. I'm Trey.
0: And I'm eating a donut. Hi, I'm Lori.
1: (laughs) You totally got to keep that.
0: Yeah, sorry about that. Hey, welcome back. Another episode, 1987. Are you ready, Trey?
1: I sure am. This was a banner year, again, for alternative music and music in general, too. But lots of stuff happened in 87. whole lot went down.
0: Yes. And there's a few bands that we're not going to be talking about in this episode because we're going to do a few album deep dives after this. But we're going to do our top 20. I picked 10. You picked 10. Boy, this year was really a struggle for me. Me
1: too. I had to spend an hour like just going, okay, what am I up to?
0: I had to eliminate some to whittle it down to 10. But I realized so, 87 is the year that I started high school. And it was also the first year that I was exposed to a lot of these bands and a lot of new music that I never would have heard before, you know, in my, my, little catholic grade school so my horizons really expanded in 87 everything that i've chosen this week has very personal resonance for me
1: wow so i said 87 is a year i truly became a goth. did you i came out of the closet so to speak or just just blossomed you know i don't know how to put it but that's when that really ramped up
0: now, what does that entail? Uh, Dyeing your hair black, obviously.
1: You know what? Most people don't. Mean. I didn't start doing that until I was about 41, 42.
0: And okay. it was, it
1: really, it was an accident.
0: Okay. Now, I'm curious, were they calling them goths in 87 by you? Because we didn't use that word in 87.
1: Okay, so I made a new friend fall of 87. It was a guy named Paul who moved to Augusta from Los Angeles. The first day of school, he was wearing a cult love t-shirt, and he told me I was a death rocker. And I and was I like, think we've f- had
0: this conversation, right. yeah. So
1: that that in that point in time, it was still death rock, which I like that better than goth, but nowadays people think death rock means like death metal.
0: Yeah, I don't think I heard the term goth until maybe the earlier mid-90s. We always called the group at school that was into this particular genre of music, we called them the New Waivers. So shall we get started, Trey? I think the first song is yours.
1: Indeed it is. And we have Seattle by Public Image Limited. I just completely forgot the name of this album. Happy. That's right. Off of their Happy LP, I should note that PIL opened up for the first part of NXS's uh, kick tour in the United States that fall.
0: Yes, they did. And they played Madison Square Garden.
1: Did they? I didn't know that. I didn't see that. Didn't see that leg of the tour.
0: Trey, I'm so glad you picked this song because it was one that I didn't have to include on my list then because... This is an awesome song. This is a really, really good one.
1: You know what? It's a great song, but somewhat lackluster album.
0: Oh, yeah?
1: One of those albums with four or five good songs on it, and the rest, you're just kind of like, eh.
0: Well, you know, that's interesting that you should mention that because John Lydon has said that Happy was much more militant in its approach and kind of pissed off at the world. That was the attitude. So I think it was maybe a lot angrier than Pills' previous work. But I would also argue that the songwriting was really elevated. I mean, he's really becoming very talented as a songwriter at this point. I like this song. And, you know, it's called Seattle. But it could be about any city. Don't like the look of this old town.
1: I likened it to where I lived in Augusta when I was a teenager in this old town.
0: Yeah. And there's that repeating line, palaces, barricades, Mm -hmm. threats meet promises. Mm -hmm. To me, palaces, barricades, you know, I think of like gated communities with their McMansions, Mm -hmm. you know, and how they kind of tend to barricade themselves off from the rest of the world. Now, I don't know if that's what John was actually getting at. But uh, no, this is a really good one to start us off with, Trey. Well,
1: well, well, everything you just said is worth noting. This was recorded in New York City at the power station. Oh, Where the Sisters of Mercy were also recording Floodland. And there's a unproven but somewhat probably true rumor that some musicians from PIL played on the Sisters of Mercy Floodland LP too.
0: Oh, and I think we're going to be talking about that one in a little bit too. We are. So Seattle was released as a 12-inch promo single, which entered the Billboard Hot Dance Club play song charts. And it stayed there for seven weeks and reached number 30 in December of 87. So that's interesting to me because when you say dance club music, I don't know that this is a song that would come to mind for me.
1: Well, you got to remember, this was a point in time where they they still really had no idea what to do with alternative music. So, yeah, they still didn't know what to do with this type of music. My main memory of this song is 120 Minutes played this video every week that fall.
0: I'm sure I've seen the video, but I don't remember it. I'll be real honest.
1: It's John Lydon standing in front of a bunch of fast-moving images of traffic and footage of big cities. I think that about covers it for that one.
0: Okay. So, Trey, as you know, I am a huge fan of Oingo Boingo. And I know I'm in the minority of Boingo fans when I say that I think their 1987 album, Boingo, was their masterpiece. I know a lot of people really don't care for that album. I think it's phenomenal, And the song that I picked off of this album is called Not My Slave. So do you know this one, Trey?
1: Of course I know this album. I had it back in the day. And, and to counter what you said, this is another one of those albums where it has five really great songs on it. And the others, you're just kind of like, yeah. But those five songs are really, really, really freaking good. You got to give them that.
0: So they were kind of in a little bit of a transitional period here. specifically.
1: Exactly.
0: Specifically, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman had just completed in 85... His first film score for Pee-Wee's Big Adventure, Tim Burton had reached out to him and asked him to score a film which he had never done. His next score after this would be Beetlejuice in 1988. So he's starting to transition, I think, to focus more on the film scores. You kind of get some of that trademark, I guess, for lack of a better word, that kind of kooky Danny Elfman.
1: That's the most perfect way to describe his scores. Cookie whimsical, but dark.
0: This particular song, Not My Slave, was released as a single. Unfortunately, it never charted. It's not really mainstream. I guess I can get why. I love Danny's lyrics. With sadness in my heart and joy in my mind, I thought about the ghosts that we left behind. That is so poetic and so gorgeous. And, you know, I think Danny Elfman is going to go down in history as one of the greatest songwriters of the 20th century.
1: I can't believe he's 70.
0: Yes. Oh, my gosh, he did. He just turned 70 the other day.
1: Did you see that Amoeba Records What's in My Bag episode with him?
0: I did. Yes. You know why I was excited, right? Not just because it was Danny. One of the things that he picked was Madness. Oh which yeah, that's right, of-
1: that's right. Yeah, I think that's why I showed it to
0: you. hmm which as you know, Trey, Madness is one of my favorite bands. And Wangle Boingle has actually cited Madness as being one of their influences. So yeah.
1: Who would have guessed?
0: <laughs> I was a little surprised at first, but I do see some similarities. They're both very ska influenced.
1: Oh, I-, I never noticed.
0: Yeah, well, especially some... Oh, he's a smart ass. Okay, never mind. Oh, I, you... <laughs> I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not. I'm going to go back to my donut. Why don't you introduce the next song?
1: This is one of my all-time favorite just feel-good songs. It's uh, Rain in the Summertime by The Alarm.
0: Don't know anything about this song or this band. I recognized it when you sent it to me. I know I've heard it before. It's definitely got kind of an anthemic feel to it.
1: It was sort of a departure for the alarm. They were sort of they're an Irish band. They were tend to lean heavily political, like you two did up till this. And I I, I think it wasn't working for them, so they kind of stepped in a different direction. Personally, I think it worked. I was like, this is much better than the other whiny stuff, you know? So I've loved this song. Not necessarily a fan of this band.
0: You know, yeah, that's it, interesting. You should mention you too, because I do see some similarities. Oh,
1: big, huge.
0: Yeah. And this one apparently only went to number 71 on the Billboard Hot 100.
1: I don't remember getting any radio play. But then again, I was in freaking Georgia, so I wouldn't have known. Right. The MTV was all over. I actually don't think 120 Minutes was playing this one, oddly enough. But it's a great song. It's a good summer song, man. Well,
0: it's definitely a very unique choice. So, as is my next one, I think.
1: I had to look this. I was like, "I I remember the name of the band. I didn't remember the song.
0: Okay. Well, the band is called Curiosity Killed the Cat. And the song I chose is Down to Earth.
1: It was somewhat of a hit here, wasn't it?
0: This song didn't get a lot of airplay in the U.S., but the album that it's from, it's their debut album, Keep Your Distance, is the only album of theirs to chart on the Billboard 200. It actually reached number 55 in the U.S., which kind of surprised me. I was surprised that it went as high as it did. So these guys are from London. They were huge in London. They're classified as, I guess, Sophistapop? Yeah. Which is kind of kind of a subgenre of New Wave that definitely is blending some jazz elements into it. And I think that's one of the things I really like about this. I had this on cassette and I wore my copy out. This band should have been a lot bigger than they were. They were just a really, really good dance band.
1: This would be my third sound saying this. I just had a, a faint memory of, you know, Once I saw the video, I remember seeing it. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing this. I thought they had another song. Misfit. Yeah, they got. I remember seeing that, too.
0: Misfit was the video that was in heavy rotation. One of our UHF stations here in Chicago, they used to have a nightly, like, half hour video show. And they used to play this a lot on their show. So, all right. Speaking of dance music, what's next?
1: Up next, we have "Strange Love" by Depeche Mode. I had no idea what this song was about until I was much older.
0: I can't say that I know what it's about now. Enlighten me. Lori. Well, I don't really listen to this particular album a lot.
1: Payne, will you return it? Oh. Good Lord.
0: Yeah. yeah, a lot of their songs are about kinky sex, aren't they?
1: My co-host, the college professor, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>
0: I just, I've never actually sat down and listened to the lyrics of this and one. You, I mean, did I you know... ever see
1: a picture of the Pesh Moon in that era? You... Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> we were young. I mean, I didn't either. I shouldn't make fun of you. I went until I was in, I was like, wait a minute. Once I got got there and in my twenties and then been around a few goth checks, I was like, oh.
0: So this one I think was written by Martin Gore, wasn't it?
1: Most likely.
0: And this was the lead single from their sixth studio album, Music for the Masses. I do remember the video for this one. And I know that the video was directed by Anton Corbin, the photographer.
1: There's two.
0: Oh, there's two videos. Okay. It didn't,
1: it didn't do well in the U S they put out, never let me down again here.
0: Okay. And they, re-
1: they reissued strange love in 88, is strange love, 88 and had a, somewhat different video with more shots of the band in it stuff, and less less of the sexy stuff
0: gotcha this one did go to number 50 on the billboard hot 100 and it went to number one on the u.s dance charts
1: this was a great song this is a great album and of course you know this tour went gangbusters and they made a documentary about it called 101 which is fantastic and if you've never seen it you, you can rent it on youtube or Amazon, check it out.
0: And I think that they made that into a live album, too, didn't they? Depeche Mode 101?
1: They did. They did. You know, they unfortunately lost all of the live footage. Lost how? They don't know. They put it in storage or something, intending later to make a concert film, and it just doesn't exist anymore.
0: So what's in the the film 101, then?
1: There's footage. footage of the, the, The only footage that remains of the concert is what's in the documentary.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay.
1: Because they made the documentary and edited things and, you know, and then they stuck, they filmed the whole show and stuck it to the side and they went back later. To, I guess when the DVD era started and it was gone.
0: And I think that the concert footage they shot for that was also used for the video for Everything Counts, wasn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, totally. Okay. You see that in the, you never seen 101?
0: Not the whole thing. I've seen, you know, video snippets, whatever they would show on MTV, but I've never watched the whole thing.
1: No, you should totally watch it. It's it's cheesy. You know the the basis of it, don't you? No, tell me. They picked like seven fans and threw them on a bus and drove them across the country following the man.
0: Interesting.
1: And the kids that they picked are a couple, they're kind of kooky. Dave Gahan actually ended up marrying one of them for a while.
0: Oh, did he really? Yeah,
1: yeah. And so, that's funny
0: because I I was speculating I, I didn't want to say anything but I was thinking to myself gee I wonder how many of them Dave hooked up with
1: well I, I, you know I shouldn't have said they were kids these were people in twenty early twenties they weren't they weren't teenagers they were right essentially grown adults so she was old enough to fuck Dave if she wanted to which apparently happened and <laughs> All right.
0: every every teenage girl's fantasy right to uh, seduce and marry a rock star.
1: Her name is Teresa. Okay. I think he's been married four or five times at this point, which, (laughs) you
0: know. He's got me beat. Well, so interestingly enough, Trey, as I was putting together the music for this episode, and I know I texted you about this, I realized that your last song and my next song have the exact same tempo and actually could, could be mixed together. So maybe someday I will do that. But um, the song that I have next is Beds Are Burning by Midnight Oil.
1: You couldn't take a step in summer of eighty seven without hearing this doggone song. I like it. I'm just over it because even today you still. I'm like, come on, man. They had other songs.
0: Oh, see now, I have a really fun memory of this song. Oh,
1: I do too. That was a fun summer. Don't get me wrong, but go ahead.
0: So, I was a member of a church youth group. I'm rolling my eyes as I say that. I know our listeners can't see my face, but we had a church retreat out in DeKalb, Illinois, and there was a dance at, at the end of the retreat. And I remember them playing the song and all of us just kind of dancing together in a circle and singing. And it was really cool. It was one of the cooler moments of an otherwise kind of lame trip. One friend and I actually kind of, I, I, I don't know if my mother's listening to this, but we we ended up ditching out of the retreat early. And just kind of wandering around, because DeKalb is a college town. Northern Illinois University is there, and so we we got sick of all the little seminars and stuff, the little churchy stuff. So we ditched out and we, you know, went to a pizza place, went to an arcade, did a little shopping, and then came back for the dance.
1: It like I said, it was everywhere. You, you this got how, how how high did this one chart?
0: Number seventeen.
1: I was, I was thinking it would have been higher. This MTV wore this video into the daggone ground. That sound of that metal thing spinning in the beginning is forever ingrained in my head. What is it, an old windmill? Or that, mm, 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 mm. You know when the video first starts and it just shows that pin? Yeah, it's going... Mm, 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 mm,
0: mm,
1: and then the... Down, okay. down. Out where the desert...
0: I don't remember the water pump, sorry,
1: that guy has a commanding voice, doesn't he?
0: in his look, too. that's Peter Garrett,
1: yeah, and he's um a very notable human being for all he's done,
0: yeah, no- a huge social activist mm-hmm. uh, i mean the the song was written as a protest song, yeah, and he actually had commented at one point, who would have thought an aboriginal land rights song would travel that far because that's what this is about. This is about them taking the native Australian lands. You know, it belongs to them. Let's give it back. But, you know, we here in the United States, it was the same situation with the Native Americans. Mm -hmm. I I think maybe that's part of the reason it was as big as it was here.
1: I had no idea what it was about. I think MTV News or something did an interview with him and he, you know, talked about that.
0: All right. What's your next song, Trey?
1: We have Heartbreak Deep by the Psychedelic Furs. And this is just another feel-good song for me. This is just I got this cassette for my 17th birthday, and I actually would only play this song. And I don't know that I ever even really listened to the rest of it.
0: Did you know that this is actually the only psychedelic first song to hit the top 40 in the US?
1: Pretty and Pink didn't? When-
0: no. Wow. Pretty in Pink didn't no, didn't chart at all. Um the only other one that I think even came close was Love My Way.
1: I get a lot of shit for this, but the psychedelic furs have always been very hit or miss to me. They're either great or they're just, you know, a lot of people don't agree with me. I can tell by the way, you are looking heavy. <laughs> no, but this is just such a fantastic song. The keyboard riff and everything in this is just great.
0: It's a nice love song. And this was the lead single off of their album Midnight to Midnight, which is the album that you were talking about that you got for your birthday. Mm-hmm. And Richard Butler, the lead singer, just turned sixty-seven yesterday, June fifth. We're recording this on June sixth. So happy birthday, Richard Butler!
1: Happy birthday, Richard! He's still out there touring. They're you know still going strong.
0: Yeah, I've seen him a few times. They're always fantastic live.
1: Never seen him. My now ex-girlfriend in Michigan was wanting to go see him, and I don't know why we didn't go.
0: Well. So it looks like that the Psychedelic Furs are touring in 2023 with the next band, which is Squeeze. And this is Hourglass.
1: You know, I I really don't know much about Squeeze.
0: You know, Squeeze are absolutely huge in the UK. And not so much here.
1: Funny you should mention that. I thought for the longest time they were from England. they are. Oh, are they? I thought they were from LA. No. Are you sure? Yeah. Check that right quick.
0: All right, hang on. Squeeze are an English rock band that came okay. to prominence in the United Kingdom. They are from London.
1: I, I don't know wrong I stand corrected. I, yeah. do, I, I suspect I was thinking of the Plum Souls.
0: Okay, so this was the first single from Squeeze's seventh album, Babylon and On. And actually, this was kind of viewed as their comeback single. They had a couple mild hits before this. Their biggest hit in the U.S. actually was Tempted. The biggest hit prior to this, I should say.
1: Yeah,
0: and that one only went to number 49. So this was their most successful single in the U.S. It went to number 15. And they actually had another song that broke the top 40 right after this. I don't remember their follow-up single. It was called, it's it was a phone just, number, 853-5937. Yeah, yeah, was, I've never heard it. It was just it. playing
1: in my head, and then you said it, and it went Okay. I had this album. Take it to the birds, see if it can sound. Yeah, yeah, no, it's
0: it's a good song. You know, the, the bass line is ridiculously simple. It's got kind of a walking bass to it. It's like, dun, 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 dun. Like a child could play it, but it's still a great song.
1: You no, know, it's in a wonderful song. I, I, I went out and rocked it. I think I had the cassette. I mean, I liked it. I just, I didn't, like I said, I didn't know anything about them really. I'd heard the name and I knew Tempted, but other than that, I didn't really view them as an alternative rock band. But when they popped up on 120 minutes and all, I was like, I'm, okay.
0: And, you know, I, I had read somewhere that, and I think this is true of bands like Madness too, that perhaps part of the reason they weren't bigger in the U.S. is because of a lot of their songs really have a lot of British terms and British colloquialisms that American audiences maybe don't get. I mean, the the song that was mentioned that I was reading about was Cool for Cats, which is a, you know, it's a fun song. That one's got, I think, Chris Difford on vocals as opposed to Glenn Tilbrook. Squeeze like to share vocal duties. You know, Glenn Tilbrook sings some, Chris Difford sings some. Tempted was actually Paul Carrick. He was in Squeeze for a time.
1: Oh, I knew that.
0: Did you know Paul Carrick was also in Madness for a time?
1: I didn't know that.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: Wasn't he in Mike in the Mechanics too?
0: Yes, he did do vocals for some of their songs. Yes. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But he's not in the band at this point. But anyway,
1: like I said, I remember seeing this video. If you're on 120 Minutes and regular MTV, I think you got some moderate radio play here too. And I went out. I remember buying the cassette. That's another one I don't think I played a whole whole lot, but there was a whole lot going on that year.
0: Well, your song is next.
1: I was going to say, up next we have an album. I play, actually broke the cassette up, too, and that's uh, Happy When It Rains by the Jesus and Mary chain off of their Darklands LP, which I just thought was one of the greatest things I'd ever heard in my entire life, my first listen.
0: know this one is a jam i hadn't discovered them yet in 87 i actually didn't discover them until 89 but when i discovered them i absolutely fell in love they are fantastic
1: yeah this is one of those albums when i, I just took a wild chance on it because i saw the video like i mentioned in our john Hughes show i had actually heard the jesus and mary chain early in the year for the first time unknowingly via some kind of wonderful but when i heard this i just was like oh my god this is what, what who you know better than sex type of thing?
0: Well, I don't know if I'd go that far.
1: This thing had everything I was into at the time: dark, depressing, and just you know, noisy,
0: crunchy guitars.
1: Yeah, these guys were great, and they had the hair all teased up and everything. You know, this was great.
0: And of course, you're speaking of brothers Jim Reed and William Reed. Yes. So this this song didn't chart in the U.S., but it did reach number 25 on the U.K. singles chart.
1: And I can remember, I would get magazines, like Melody Maker and stuff imported, and see songs like this in the top 40 there. And I'd be like, what in the hell? How was this ha-? It, it befuddled me big time.
0: Right. And what was top 40 in 87 over here? I'm try- trying trying to remember.
1: Whitney Houston. Madonna. Yeah. Uh,
0: Nothing's Gonna Stop Us by Starship.
1: Oh, that. I hate that damn song.
0: Rick Astley, never going to give you up.
1: We need to do an episode on the worst of the 80s.
0: Okay. Uh, You know, (laughs) and it's interesting because I suspect the ones I classify as worst are going to like and vice versa. Okay. So speaking of British charts, my next song is 24-Hour Party People by the Happy Mondays.
1: You know, it would be another three years before I would hear them.
0: Well, it would be even longer than that for me. I didn't hear them in 87.
1: Oh, I thought you knew them then. Wow, okay. So I don't feel dumb.
0: I did see them with the psychedelic furs.
1: Oh, wow. What was that like?
0: Oh, it was amazing, but I didn't know any of the Happy Mondays music at the time. I mean, I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't know them when I saw them live, because I think I would have appreciated it. It was a great show, but I think I would have appreciated it more. Had I actually known the music. So this song was written by the happy Mondays and produced by John Cale, the legend from velvet underground. Yeah. And it was the second single off of their debut album. The entire name of the album was squirrel and G man, 24 hour party people, plastic face, Can't Smile White Out, which sounds like somebody having a stroke, (laughs) but apparently every word in that title has meaning to Sean Ryder, the songwriter and singer. They released the single in October of 87. And again, it didn't chart here in the U.S. And Sean Ryder has said that the song is about people that are on government benefits who would rather go out and party instead of looking for a job.
1: Yeah, that was a big thing in England, man. People being on the dole and not really making an effort, you know.
0: Well, and we talked about that, too, with the Pet Shop Boys. Tonight is forever. It was the same kind of thing, you know, that uh, even if you didn't have any money, you still got all dolled up and you went out to the dance clubs and, you know, had to see and be seen. Yeah. And Happy Mondays were right on the cusp of what we call the Madchester Sound. They were big at the club called the Hacienda in Manchester. And I think that sometime within the next few months, Trey, you and I are going to be doing an episode on Madchester. Yep, we are. Uh, Tony Wilson, who founded the Hacienda Factory Records, kind of discovered the Happy Mondays. He has said on more than one occasion that Sean Ryder is one of the most brilliant songwriters of our generation, and he is really good and he's really got a good head for rhythm, but he's functionally illiterate. Most of the lyrics that he wrote down, he just kind of spelled out phonetically because he had no idea how to spell any of the words. So I think it's really kind of cool that somebody with that kind of a challenge could actually write so many really really good songs one more thing to note here trey just about a year ago july fifteenth, 2022 paul Ryder, sean's brother and one of the founding members of the band passed away at the age of 58 so now we're going to shift gears a little bit with this next song aren't we trey
1: we sure are we have mary's prayer by danny wilson it was a they not a he
0: Right, I guess they're actually a Scottish trio. Right. Gary Clark, Gerard Grimes, and Kit Clark. Suddenly the heavens rolled, suddenly the rain came down, suddenly it was washed away. Maybe that I knew. So when
1: you find somebody, you can think of me and say
0: say
1: the light light on in Hey Lori, you would look you like that pop thing. You would love this album.
0: Yeah.
1: I I bought it off the r- local radio station that summer and it didn't appeal to me, but you would love it
0: hearing this song on the radio and i had no idea who it was uh, you know just i guess they're kind of a one-hit wonder here
1: oh for sure I, I think there were a one-hit wonder everywhere i believe this is the only album they ever put out some yep. of them some of them went on to other things i think the band changed name look at bring it up okay i had all this in my head earlier and it's
0: and they formed a band called spencer tracy and spencer tracy signed to virgin records the actor spencer tracy Yeah. His estate, I guess, was like trying to sue them or something. So then they changed their name from Spencer Tracy to Danny Wilson.
1: I wonder who in the world Danny Wilson is.
0: I guess it's taken from a 1952 Frank Sinatra film. It's from
1: a movie. I knew that.
0: Yeah. Called Meet Danny Wilson. Again, this is one that I remember hearing on the radio, had no idea who it was by. And, you know, this wasn't like the days of satellite radio like now right. where you can look at the dashboard in your car and you can see who the artist is or what the song is. And if you didn't happen to catch who the the song was, if the DJ didn't announce it, good luck, you know? I mean, you couldn't pull out your phone and shazam it.
1: Well, I saw the video, which had the name of the band on it.
0: <laughs> okay, well, that, that's, that was always good. So, you know... <laughs>
1: I'm
0: sorry. Well, honestly, Trey, this is probably the first time I've heard this song since 87. I do remember thinking at the time that there's a lot of religious imagery in this song. Gary Clark, who wrote the song, says that that's really just a device to relate past, present, and future. It's basically just a simple love song. In fact, I like to think of it as being like a country and Western song, and I could see that. I had
1: forgotten this song. Remember when VH1 Classic came out? What was that? 2000? Yes. And it was just completely freaking cool. Especially, I don't
0: remember it being completely freaking cool, but yeah. I remember when it came out.
1: <laughs> no, VH1 Classic, not VH1. Remember in I four when all the satellite channels? What, what were they called? Digital cable channels started coming out. Well, VH1 Classic, when it first came out, was one of the coolest things ever. Late at night, they would be like MTV was in the 80s. And you just never knew what the hell you were going to see. And they rolled this out one night. And I was like, oh, shit. But you couldn't get this song anywhere then.
0: Well, and I had a hard time finding it even for this episode.
1: The on YouTube.
0: It is. And that's ultimately what I did. Is yeah. I ripped it off of YouTube. And our listeners will probably notice there's a bit of an audio quality issue compared to the other songs. And that's why. Because it, it was never sold as a digital release.
1: I don't even think it's on Spotify or anything. uh uh-uh. so I wonder how far we'd have to hunt to find a copy of this album.
0: I found a couple used copies selling for three figures. Really? 100 plus, yeah.
1: I wish I still had my copy because it would be in pristine mint yeah. shape. Yeah. Because i never played this once. Well, i listened to the whole thing once. Like I said, you would... You would enjoy it. I was forgettable, so we got. All gonna... right, well,
0: yeah. So my next song, Trey, is one I think we've talked about this band before. I don't know if we've talked about this song, "Lips Like Sugar" by Echo and the Bunnymen. Just when you think you've caught it, she glides across the water. She calls for you tonight to share.
1: This is another one that unfortunately has just gotten, I like it. So don't, you know, audience members don't take it the wrong way. It just, it's gotten worn out for me because, you know, somebody brings up Echo and the Bunnyman, they go to this song.
0: You know, this was the first song I ever heard by Echo and the Bunnyman. And this is the song that made me fall in love. I bought the album, which was also called Echo and the Bunnyman. Now, this was actually right before they broke up. So they've been around for a while, but I kind of came to the party very late. I thought the whole album was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, oh,
1: it totally is.
0: A lot of fans don't seem to agree. A lot of fans don't care for that album. Just like with uh, with Boingo, with Oingo Boingo. And this song in particular, Ian McCulloch. Ian, Ma- is it McCulloch? McCullough. I've McCulloch. I've heard it
1: said both ways. I don't know. We'd have to ask
0: him right? Ian McCulloch actually didn't care for this song at first. There was an interview in 1992 where he said, it was an okay song, I suppose, but it didn't sound like us. We just got sucked into a new mentality on that last album, The Sound of Radio America. And isn't that weird, given what I just said about how that was the album that really got me turned on to them? He didn't like the sound of it.
1: It definitely got them noticed here, finally. More so than they had before.
0: Oh, my gosh. I, I can't hear this song without dancing. I have to dance to this song. It is just so beautiful. And Ian's lyrics, she floats like a swan, grace on the water. Oh, so pretty. So pretty. But the whole song is just gorgeous. Everything about it, the synth, the guitar, it, it just sparkles.
1: It's a great song for sure. And this is another one that uh, 120 Minutes played in the video. I always associate this song with True Faith by New Order because they played both of these videos so much that fall.
0: This song did not chart in the U.S. like so many of these songs that you and I are profiling today.
1: Not even on the dance charts.
0: Yes, not even on the dance charts.
1: Pretty popular song.
0: Yes a boyfriend in high school who used to make fun of this song and he would always say lips like sugar, sugar cookies,
1: sugar cookies. Yeah. Now it's going to be in my head forever.
0: Great. You're welcome. Hey, what do you got next?
1: Love removal machine by the cult, which was a big departure for this band. you know the cult had previously been somewhat of what you would call a goth band for death rock i don't know what they were who knows what they were thinking but they brought in rick rubin as a producer and this is what came out some people say it sounds like acdc which i can see for sure just the meat and potatoes guitar work and the the scratchy vocals
0: i do see similarity with this in other cult songs that came out you know in, in the late 80s, Firewoman, Edie Chow Baby. They have a very, very dis- uh, very distinctive sound. You know, it's funny you should mention, you know, Death Rock, because I found out, I didn't know, their name was originally the Death Cult.
1: It was actually Southern Death Cult, then Death Cult. Oh, was Cult, it really? Yeah, and then Cult, the Cult. Okay. Actually, they started out as Theater of Pain, and Morrissey was in it for a scant minute, apparently.
0: You're kidding. Mm-hmm. Really? I didn't know that. Not
1: much out there about that. It's
0: one of those things. So they are from West Yorkshire in England.
1: He actually was born in Canada, I think. Oh yeah. And migrated to the UK. I think he started out as a. He was going to be a professional soccer player and got hurt. Really? You better look all that up. Make sure my memory's not.
0: Okay, let me take a look. Ian Asprey. He's got such a distinctive voice, doesn't he? Was he was either
1: British-born and lived in Canada for a while or was born in Canada and then raised in the UK.
0: He was born in Cheshire in England, and he moved to Ontario when he was 11.
1: Right. And I read an interview with him once, and he said at first he had his eye on being a, a football player Okay. and got injured. I, I mean, that could have been something to happen when he was a teenager. Who knows? And I, I think it's safe to say they were definitely trying to grab the hair metal audience with this song, too. Oh,
0: well, yeah. this whole
1: album, okay, it worked for them. And, you know, I, a lot of people bagged on this record. I think it's all right. There's another version of it out there floating around. They have recorded the whole album at first, and it sounded more like love. And it's, no, it's called the Manor Session. Some people call it the Electric Love LP. Actually, I think it's really good, too. I listen to both of them.
0: Yeah, that's consistent with what I found out because, again, I wasn't familiar with this song, but apparently it was the first single to be released from their album Electric, which was in 87, but they had recorded it with a different arrangement for their third album called Peace, but that album ended up being scrapped, and then they re-recorded it. So I think what you might be referring to is the scrapped recording from the previous album, yeah?
1: They ended up putting the whole thing out about 2001 and called it the Peace Album. But back in the late 80s, early 90s, people called it Electric Love or The Man Session. These guys, you know, I love the cult, but they got really hit or miss after this one.
0: Oh, did they? Oh. I was going to say, the songs that I know by them, just effing rock, man. You know, it's you just kind of got to get up and you got to kind of thrash and bang your head to it, you know? And I think this one is, is like that. But I definitely see similarities between this one and Firewoman.
1: And I think Firewoman stepped deeper into more hair, hair metal territory than this did, even. They, I, make... I think it's better to call this one just plain good old hard rock. But Sonic Temple is definitely when they took a more hard line metal stance, which that's a great album, too. Half of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, Trey, you mentioned that. For a time, they recorded with, or they, they played with Morrissey. Uh-huh. Well, that's a nice segue to my next song, which is I Started Something I Couldn't Finish by The Smiths.
1: <laughs> the were silent. There was nothing known. One...
0: And, Trey, we know how you feel about the Smiths.
1: <laughs> I don't even know this song. I know they had a hit. I know Girlfriend in a Coma from that fall. and Doesn't stop me if you think you've heard this one before out around that same time. I don't remember this one.
0: Well, this is one of my top two songs by the Smiths. This one and How Soon Is Now. I, I, I love this song. And, you know, I think in my next incarnation... Or my next reinvention, if I ever you know retire from my current job, I want to be a filmmaker. Quentin Tarantino is my idol, but I just envision something very Tarantino esque, and I'm going to use this song in my my Reservoir Dogs. Okay, my my debut. Lawrence, film. he probably he
1: probably won't let you.
0: Oh no, he probably <laughs> sue the pants off of me. Yeah, but I can fantasize, can't I? So this was written by Morrissey and guitarist Johnny Marr was on their 1987 album, Strange Ways Here We Come. And it actually kind of emerged from a jam during their recording sessions from Sheila Take a Bow, has a very glam rock inspired guitar riff. And this one actually was not supposed to be a single.
1: What a shame.
0: It ended up being their second single because their first single, Stop Me If You Think You've Heard This One Before, got banned by the BBC.
1: I opted to stop them.
0: It was you. It was you, huh? (laughs) Okay. Well, significantly, Trey, this was also the first single that was released after the Smiths had broken up. So that might be why you're not familiar with it. Uh, It did go to number 23 on the UK singles chart. Didn't chart here amazing fucking song you know i love everything about it i love the bass line i love johnny's guitar i love the lyrics you know um uh he's talking about i dashed a friendly venture with a hard-faced three-word gesture and i'm dying to know i mean you, you know everybody has their own interpretation of what that gesture would be i have an idea what it could be but i mean it's really kind of mysterious you know it's like i want to know more
1: <laughs> i'm gonna quit being a jackass <laughs> the smiths were a good band. They, they were very talented people i just morrissey just really rubs me in the wrong way i don't care for the way he treats his fans and takes things and yeah. i'll just leave it at that
0: no i'll agree with you on that i'll agree with you on that hey what did you pick for your next song trey
1: this is a band you had never heard of. This is a Georgia band. And I, I think they were probably only, well, they, they got on MTV and everything. But it's Litany Life Goes On by Glotto Canal Diary. Who were an Atlanta, Georgia band. And this, this is such a great song, man. Just such a great song. The thing that dogged this band is they just got compared to REM, and they were nothing like REM. They no, were friends. They all. were definitely friends with each other, but they just were nothing like that.
0: So I heard this for the first time just the other day, and I had to kind of dig to find it. It reminds me of like a nineteen sixties pop song.
1: Yeah this, the 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 guitars and the thuddy drums.
0: Yeah, yeah. Are they named after the movie? Apparently, there was a a movie in 1943 called Guadalcanal Diary, which was the story of a U.S. Marines invasion task force bound for Guadalcanal in the Solomon Islands in '42.
1: They were definitely named after that. Yeah. They were great. They came and played here in fall of '87 at the local college, and it was such a great show, man. They're real tongue. They can be a very tongue in cheek band too. They've got a song, it's an ode to the Three Stooges called "I See Mo." Okay. And they've got a real. They were really just great and unique band. There was nobody else like them. Somebody was asking me the other day what I would compare them to. And I was like, you know, it's sort of like the Smithereens. Okay. They were an alternative rock band, and they definitely had a 60s vibe to them. They were just sort of basic middle-of-the-road rock and roll that didn't really fit in anywhere else at the time.
0: Hmm. Are they still around?
1: No, sadly, their founding member and lead guitarist, Jeff Walls, died of cancer in Atlanta in 2019. Oh. They had reformed here and there over the years and played shows and did a live album. I think they put out a DVD, but... That was the end of it right there. And these guys, they got to be in their late 60s now. That's a great thing. If you were from Georgia and into rock like R.E.M., you'd love to these guys. They were great.
0: All right. Well, the next one for me, Trey, is another life-changing album for me. Sinead O'Connor's album, The Lion and the Cobra. And this is her single, Mandinka.
1: Man, I love this one. This, yeah. I had this album, yeah. Remember I posted it on Facebook a while back? Oh, and you were like, yeah, you
0: did. You did.
1: Did y'all have Camelot music there? Yes. Remember how they had that $6.99? Try it, and if you don't like it, you can bring it back. I got this off the of there and I loved it.
0: Oh, yeah. No, this uh this entire album is just absolutely amazing. Yeah. Not a bad track on it. And- right. Um, this was really more than any of the other albums so far. I think the soundtrack to my high school career, this whole album. So this was the second single off of her debut album. Do you know anything about what it's about?
1: It's an African language, isn't it? That's all I've ever really known.
0: Correct. So it's a language spoken in Western Africa. Mm -hmm. And Sinead O'Connor said, to understand the song, you need to read the book Roots by Alex Haley. So, Roots, you might remember, then became a miniseries in the late 70s, starring LeVar Burton as Kunta Kinte, and Kunta Kinte was a member of the Mandinka tribe. Now, there's a few biblical references in here as well. Sinead actually, having been raised Catholic, has a lot of biblical references in her music. The very first line, I'm dancing the seven veils, want you to pick up my scarves. Well, that's a reference to Salome from the Bible. So this one went to number 14 on the U.S. Dance Club Songs chart. I don't think it ever uh, made like the the Hot 100 or anything. I think it's maybe one of her more mainstream songs, although I hesitate to even use that word mainstream
1: it was a hit clip of the week on MTV and then they had it in the buzz band.
0: Okay. So it got
1: got put into regular rotation. And I remember a lot of people talking about it who wouldn't normally be in this sort of music.
0: Yeah. So there's some... Um, I don't know. I'm sure there's a technical term for it. Maybe our listeners can, you know, write in and, and let us know. But this kind of Irish banshee whale that she does and the other person that I did this a lot was uh, Dolores O'Riordan from the Cranberries Mm -hmm. it's so gorgeous and so distinctive and man I tried so many times in the shower to try to try to come close to duplicating that sound and I just can't but um, Sinead O'Connor is just absolutely amazing
1: this was just such a fantastic album And, of course, you know, her next album, which we'll get to later on as the show progresses, is a humdinger, too.
0: Yeah, but, you know, of all of her albums, and, and, you know, I have some that I like more than others, but she never touched the greatness of the first one. And I think that's true of a lot of performers. You know, you spend most of your time writing songs, performing songs, preparing your first album And then once you have a hit, then you're expected to go into the studio and rush out and record a second album. And so a lot of artists and bands never really touch that level that their first album hit. And I think that's probably true for her as well. It's not to say that she doesn't have other phenomenal songs and other terrific albums. She put one out uh, a few years ago that was uh, Am I Not Your Girl, just absolutely fantastic. It comes close to this one but not quite.
1: I don't think I've ever heard anything past... What's the name of the second album?
0: I Do Not a, Want What I Haven't Got.
1: Right. I haven't heard anything past this one, and I do not want what I have not got, other than a song or two here and there. She went... She did, didn't she go through a long period of inactivity?
0: She does. And, and you know, I got to say, I've never seen her live. Every time I've bought tickets to one of her shows... Within the month, she has announced she was quitting show business and canceled the show. And this has happened more than once.
1: She just pulled off a pretty big tour.
0: Yeah, now I didn't even try to to get tickets to that. (laughs) Now, for a while, I don't know if she still is, but she was living in a suburb of Chicago for a while.
1: I think I heard that.
0: She's had some emotional troubles you know and that's pretty well documented but she went missing for a little while she went missing from one of the suburbs here in Chicago and it was interesting because one of my friends had actually said you know I'm pretty sure I saw her and then she turned up again and you know of course there's no explanation as to you know what happened or where she was not that she owes anybody an explanation but you know she's very very troubled soul but she. Pours that into her her music and her lyrics. And I think maybe that's why it touches me so much. Mm -hmm.
1: She seems to have gotten a hold of herself. and She's been touring constantly for the past few years. And seems to have gotten herself stable and focused and doing well. Let's
0: hope so. A few years after this, she kind of ended up kind of doing the Dixie Chicks. Where she really drew the ire of a lot of Americans because she was on Saturday Night Live and she had a photo of Pope John Paul II and she tore it up on the air and said, this is the real enemy. A lot of people at the time were just very, very upset with that. And I guess I can understand why. But ironically, she ended up being vindicated because what she was talking about was clergy sex abuse. She ended up being right. Oh, totally. About the clergy sex abuse. Anyway, though, Sinead O'Connor, that whole album from start to finish, that album carried me through high school. It really did.
1: Like I said, I played it a lot, too. I got it. and Loved it. My girl from high school girlfriend thought it was a these knees, too. We both played that a whole lot. I mean, I saw the video. It was all over MTV, Fall of '87. I mean, it was another one you could take a step without them running it. And then she had that song with MC Light.
0: Song with MC Light.
1: Put 'em on me. The remix with the oh, rapper MC oh, I want Light. Your
0: hands on me. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah.
1: Put 'em on. Put 'em on. Put 'em on. Yeah,
0: that's that was big on that was huge on the dance charts. I remember seeing Ooh, that in Rolling Stone magazine all the time. The first single off the album was actually Troy.
1: Oh, you know, I knew that. I knew that because I think yeah. I saw that video and it didn't grab me. And then Mandinka came out and I was like, oh, hey.
0: Mm-hmm. So, hey, let's move on. As we're recording this tray, it's June 6th. I know this is coming out a little bit later to give me some time to edit it. But there are two really big concerts taking place tonight here in Chicago
1: The Sisters of Mercy.
0: Correct.
1: I was supposed to see them last night in Detroit, but
0: I oh we didn't make it
1: kicked my girlfriend in a curve, so
0: am I keeping that in the episode?
1: Yeah, you can keep it. I don't care if she hears it. Hi, Michelle.
0: <laughs> Tell us about the song you picked by the Sisters of Mercy
1: this was the, i I think I had their first album. I don't think I'd paid it much mind, but this came out and just had me a hello, as I like to say. a great song it's silly do you understand what this is do you understand what they were doing
0: not really i mean i'll be honest trey i didn't get into the sisters of mercy the way you did so this is the first time that i've actually actively listened to this song as opposed to just seeing it in a movie or something i know it's nine minutes and 16 seconds
1: it's actually 12 minutes long but they it depends upon where you brought the album or which version of the single you have, but the the original, was 12 minutes, was produced by Jim Steinman, who was Meatloaf's longtime producer. But the song itself, This Corrosion, are you familiar with the Mission UK?
0: I've heard of them. I don't really know anything about them.
1: Wayne Hussey and Craig Adams, who went on to form the Mission UK, were in the Sisters of Mercy for their 1985 First and Last and Always LP they left a the band and tried to start a band called The Sisterhood, which Andrew Eldritch of the Sisters of Mercy quickly put an end to about putting out an EP called The Sisterhood EP. But this corrosion was making fun of Wayne Hussey and Craig Adams and their first Mission UK LP because the lyrics are pretty silly on it. And they were trying too hard to be goth, as some would say. So this was, that's why the lyrics of this song don't make any, they're just silly. If you sit down and really listen to them, you're like, what on earth is he talking about? It's a parody is what I'm getting at.
0: Okay. So that, that makes me feel a little bit better then because yeah, as I was listening to this, I thought this is fucking ridiculous.
1: This this is, this is Freebird.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is
1: Freebird for Gus.
0: Okay, or I was say, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody, but yeah, just yeah. And the synthesized harpsichord parts, I felt like I was listening to the soundtrack of Castlevania, the the old Nintendo game.
1: No and Andrew Ellerchi is in the video game, so that might have been intentional.
0: Okay. The only time that I've ever really heard this song, Trey, prior to this was in the movie The World's End with Simon Pegg, and this song appears a couple times in that movie. Do you remember that movie? Nope. It was like the third one of the trilogy. There was Shaun of the Dead and then Hot Fuzz.
1: I know that one. And then
0: The World's End.
1: I know the other two. I don't know the third one. I've you never might seen... enjoy
0: it. You might enjoy it. It seems like it would hit your sense of humor.
1: I'm wearing the Night of the Living Dead shirt, so obviously I love Shaun of the Dead because that was essentially an homage to these movies. Yeah. But, uh, so this
0: one, this one is a little bit more of like a sci-fi, but it's 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 good. I think, arguably, the best thing about it is actually probably the soundtrack. It's got a really really good soundtrack.
1: Public Image Limited were recording Happy in New York. At the same time, they were working on these songs. And John Lydon claims that he would go into where the sisters were working and was around for some of that. And that members of Pill played on this song. It is a big mystery as to who actually played the music on this song. No one seems to to really there's no credits inside of the album. Andrew was never said himself. And then there's the mystery of Patricia Morrison, the woman in the video who was hiring on as a bass player, she says she never played a note in the band. So, huh. there's a big... You can look this up. You can find tons and tons of basically essays on the internet as who, who actually played the music on the Sisters of Mercy Floodland LP, but I don't know.
0: So, I had a former roommate that was really into the Sisters of Mercy. I never cared for them. I'll be real honest. Um...
1: You should check out the Vision Thing album. Even that one's more your speed. You tend to don't. I'm not putting you down here. You, know, you tend to like more mainstream sounding stuff, and okay. I just I feel like you would definitely like that album.
0: Okay, I'll check it out.
1: It's a good you album. You know my
0: taste by now.
1: Yeah, yeah. You, you 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 like the very finished sound.
0: Which, ironically, the next song is anything but. <laughs>
1: It definitely hasn't. It's, this is definitely a produced track.
0: So, uh, we're talking about the next song that I've picked, which is by one of my absolute favorite bands of all time, The Pixies. They put out a debut EP in '87 called Come On Pilgrim. And this is the song I've Been Tired.
1: I'm not sure I actually know this song now that I think about it.
0: No, it's it's very raw. I think what really attracted me to them is that their music, at least their first few albums, it was very unpolished. And some of their tracks, not this one, but some of their early songs were actually recorded in a men's restroom.
1: I think I'd read that somewhere.
0: Mm -hmm. But you don't recognize this one, huh?
1: I never got... I liked the Pixies, but I never sat down and explored their catalog. There's songs by them my love, but I've never just gone through it all.
0: So anybody who knew me in high school remembers that I ate, breathed, and slept the Pixies in high school. The song was written by Black Francis, a.k.a. Frank Black. His real name is Charles Thompson IV. Kim Deal on bass. She would later go on to... Form the Breeders with her sister, Kelly, and Joey Santiago on guitar, who's my first Filipino crush. I'm looking to see if my husband heard that because, you know, my husband being Filipino. And uh, of course, David Lovering on drums. I love the lyrics. Black Francis's lyrics are just so brilliant. I tell a tale of a girl, but I call her a woman. She's a little bit older than me. And then he goes on to compare her breasts to a cluster of grapes. Now, tell me that isn't a really visual image, right?
1: I saw him live when he did a solo tour in 93. He's kind of a jerk on stage.
0: Oh, I've seen the Pixies live many, many times. They always put on a great show. But Jim Deal, the bassist... She's the reason that I picked up bass guitar. I wanted to be her so bad. She is just absolutely the coolest person that ever walked the face of the earth. And, at one of the concerts I was at at the Aragon ballroom, I was like literally right in front, right at her feet. And I felt like I, I, I worship you, Kim, you know, and she had a cigarette hanging out of her mouth and she's just, so adorable and so talented. All four of them are, but oh my god, I'm crushing on Kim Deal so bad.
1: This pix- are the Pixies still going?
0: Yes, they are, but Kim's no longer in the band. Right,
1: I knew that. She like got that's been more than ten years ago. Yeah, I was yeah. aware of that. I, I, yeah, I'd they're
0: I'd... they're they're touring again.
1: Okay. Are they they're not making new music though, are they? Aren't they just so they are. Uh, are they?
0: Yeah. They had an album come out not too long ago. September 2022 was their most recent release. Oh,
1: okay. I thought they had just stuck to touring.
0: And they have a new female bassist, too. Yeah. who's She's really good. Paz.
1: Paz Lechanan, She Yes. She was in... A, my mind just went blank on me again. She was in that band the guy from Tool had there in 2000. A Perfect Circle. Yes. A Perfect Circle. Thank you. And...
0: And she was also in Zwan, which yeah, I was, was one say, of Billy Corgan's projects.
1: And I think she was i think she was in the Smashing Pumpkins for a brief, scant minute.
0: It's possible. So she's really good and really talented, yes, too? Yes.
1: She's sexy, too.
0: All right. <laughs> but she's not Kim, though.
1: I, you know, I was really big fan of the breeders.
0: Oh, yeah. Kim and Kelly? Mm-hmm. And Josephine?
1: I saw one of the last shows Nirvana would have ever played before Kurt died and the Breeders are the opening act. They were better than Nirvana to me.
0: So I can't wait till we start getting into the early 90s and we can start hitting some of the Breeders' music.
1: I love Last Flash. That is one of the... We have to deep dive that album. We
0: do. We do. We will... What was that? 92? 90, 93?
1: 93. Yeah.
0: yeah. We, will, we will definitely... Listeners, we are now committed. We are going to do an album deep dive on The Breeders' Last Splash in 93.
1: I listened to that whole album, Walking Home From Work, the other night.
0: That's so good. Yeah. And Okay, so speaking of concerts, now I mentioned that we had two shows taking place tonight in Chicago. One of them, Sisters of Mercy, I Didn't Really Care. The other one that I actually was debating whether I was going to go to, obviously I'm not there because I'm here with you, Trey, is Love and Rockets.
1: You should have went.
0: Well, here's something that I bet you didn't know about me, Trey. I'm agoraphobic.
1: Yeah, my ex-wife is real bad.
0: And I don't do well with crowds. And so if I have somebody that I'm comfortable with, I do a little bit better. But I really don't do well with crowds by myself. I get major anxiety attacks. And I really was weighing it because I know this is gonna be the last time I'm ever gonna get to see Love and Rockets. No, I've no, never I, seen them live.
1: I don't think they're done. No? No.
0: Well, you picked a Love and Rockets song, didn't you?
1: I indeed I did. No new tale to tale off of their Jesus. What's the name of the cat-
0: Earth, Sun,
1: Moon. Yeah, Earth, Sun, and Moon. Yes, how in the hell could I forget that? This is such a wonderful album. So good. It's fantastic. The first time I heard it, I had to get used to it a time or two, but it, it grew on me quick, and I love it.
0: It's definitely got a more psychedelic sound than some of their previous work. This particular song, that's David J on vocals.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know the first time I ever heard this song, Trey? Wait, how? On an episode of Beavis and Butthead.
1: Oh, wow. I saw 120 minutes world premiere of the video, and went nuts
0: and david J has this big hat looking like yeah. a like a <clears throat> preacher from like yeah. the 1600s yeah it's a great song but yeah beavis and butthead yeah these guys suck but they can still kick axel's ass
1: yeah i had a great t-shirt for this i guess it was a tour shirt packed in and <laughs> it had the cover art on the front but on the back of it I had little smaller pictures of all the liner notes it was really cool I think it had a Heart and Rocket logo on the sleeve too.
0: We we've talked about Love and Rockets before. We talked about them in the John Hughes episode, and they kind of arose from the ashes of Bauhaus. Yep. Daniel Ash, David J, and I always forget the drummer's name.
1: Kevin Haskins, who was actually David J's little brother.
0: Oh, is he really? Yeah. I can see the resemblance. Yeah. They,
1: they didn't want to have. I two guess I pe- never. They didn't want to have two people with the same last name in the band.
0: Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, no, I can now that you mention it, I totally see the resemblance. I don't know how Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Anything else about No Uh, New Tale to Tell?
1: That's a great album, and go check it out if you've never heard the whole album.
0: It's all the same thing. I love that one. Yeah,
1: that's a great song, man. Yeah. And up next.
0: Yes. So we're gonna finish this episode with another native Georgia band. R E M arguably, this is from your hometown, isn't it? Aren't, aren't no, they from I'm, Augusta?
1: They're not from Augusta, they're from Athens, Georgia, which is about a, oh. an hour, 15, 20 minutes away. I've actually lived there, so.
0: Oh, okay. And, um, so the song that I chose to close out 1987, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. 6 o'clock TV hour, don't
1: get caught in four tower, slash, burn, return to yourself, turn. Locking in uniform and fuck burning black This is the alternative track of the year for 87, without a doubt.
0: My mother had a CD of Document by R. It's a our great name. album. It's a great album. I stole it from her. This one and <laughs> the other one I stole from her was Kick by NXS, which we're going to talk about in a coming episode. Anyway, It's the End of the World as We Know It was the album's second single. It was released in November of 87, reaching number 69. In the US Billboard Hot 100.
1: I'm sure there's some sort of a joke there. Yeah. And the band probably had one when that happened. <laughs> uh, but, uh... okay. This, uh, you know, I, I've actually met this kid.
0: Uh, from the video? Uh,
1: yeah. He lives in Athens still. And I met him in a bar one night. People are like, that's the kid that was in the REM video.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Kid,
1: he's got one of those two names type of names.
0: Noah Ray
1: that's it that's it he apparently fell on hard times well after I met him but he was a cool kid and kind of kind of seemed bothered by the attention he was getting that night at the bar yeah I think he was just kind of guys you know let me drink a beer
0: you know this song it's basically it's a list but it's like a stream of consciousness kind of list and it's, it's so fast, so rapid fire, which I think is part of the appeal for it. Every time I listen to it, though, I'm picking up something new. There's a, a number of names. Leonard Bernstein, right, which he pronounces Leonard Bernstein.
1: Which puzzled me for years.
0: Leonid Brezhnev, Lenny mm-hmm. Bruce, Lester Bangs. I never noticed. They all have the same initials, LB. Mm-hmm. Michael Stipe did an interview in 19... I didn't write down the year, but it was in in the early 90s uh, with Musician Magazine where he explained that he had had a dream where he found himself at a party and everybody at the party were all famous people that had the same initials, LB. Yeah, so presumably those four would be people in his dream. And of course, Lester Bangs uh, the renowned music critic yes, who also uh, is a character in one of my favorite movies, Almost Famous.
1: Yes, I was going about to bring that up. Such a great movie. You know, as I mentioned, I've lived in Athens for a few years, and I had a couple of encounters with Michael Stipe while I lived there. Really? One night I was in a Kroger at about 4 in the morning, and he was in line in front of me, and he was buying one copy of every magazine they had on the, on the shelf and the girl checking him out clearly had no freaking clue who he was but i should note this was in about 96
0: our listeners can't see my face right now i'm my, my jaw is on the floor
1: well i should know i didn't say anything to him i didn't want to you know When i see a famous person and they're doing something normal right i feel like he he was being michael stipe and doing a little shopping but he was buying one copy of every magazine they had on the rack and the girl checking him out wasn't like a 19 year old girl she was like what are you gonna do with all these magazines and he goes it's for an art project you know how michael stipe always sounds so serious oh
0: that's and he,
1: brilliant and he left and i got it i was like buying beer and doritos at four in the morning and I looked, at the, I looked at the girl and i said do you know who that was And she's like, no. And I said, did you ever hear of R.E.U.? And she's like, yes. And I said, that's their lead singer, Michael Stipe. And she was like, really? Are they from Athens? And I started (laughs) laughing. I said, yeah, they're from here.
0: Are you new in town? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, when you see Michael Stipe in line at the grocery store or something, it's one thing if the person is appearing in concert or if it's an actor and they're doing mm-hmm. an appearance or whatever. And then, you know, yeah, then I feel like it's appropriate. You know, that's what they're there right, for. Right, right, right. bought your ticket. But, yeah, when they're doing something mundane, like buying their groceries. Or, like, a couple of years back, Don and I ran into, at, at Navy Pier, the actor Steve Zahn was sitting at a, a table oh, with wow. his family. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, of course, you know, we're looking, we're like, isn't that? Yeah, that's him. But, you know, we know we yeah, don't go don't... over and we don't we don't bother him because, you know, that's your time with your family or, you know, at, at the bar with your boyfriend or whatever, you know. So so, Trey, this is bringing us now to the end of our list of n- bringing us to our I can't talk. Why do you say it?
1: What's in us today. This is bringing us to our, the end of our 1987 list.
0: And again, we have some album deep dives planned. So what do we have planned first?
1: I say we go with kick next.
0: All right. So two weeks from now, we are going to do an album deep dive on the 1987 NXS classic kick. So yeah, we've got a couple good things coming up for still for 1987. So, hey, thanks for listening to our top 20 and we'll, be back in two weeks with a little bit of kick action
1: good night everybody and thank you thank you thank you for listening